The first time I can remember feeling truly scared, like in the bones scared, was roughly 20 years ago. I don't know exactly how old I was, but I do know that I was in middle school and there was snow on the ground outside. Somehow, without my parents knowing, I had watched John Carpenter's The Thing. I felt cool. I felt rebellious. I felt strong. At least when the sun was shining. As night fell, so did my courage. You see, this was Ohio, and we had a basement. Picture every shadowy, mildewed space you've ever seen in horror movies, or in your own memories. This produced the same sensation of dread. The washer and dryer were down there, as well as myriad other unused household items and seasonal decorations. It also housed some random item that my mother would need me to go down and fetch for her at least once a week. Sandpaper or a bucket. Something. Obviously, I was never eaten by whatever monsters I pictured being down in the darkness. Because I'm still here today. But that basement has stuck with me. Not for what was waiting in its depths, but what might have been coming up to join us above ground. My resolve had completely vanished by bedtime. With visions of flares and tentacles clouding my mind, I broke down and confided in my parents. And they did their best to console me, tell me everything was okay, and they got me calmed down enough to get back in bed. Still, as the wind howled outside, forcing groans and sighs from the walls of our house, I swear I could hear the basement stairs creaking, as if something heavy were ascending one step after another, excruciating and slow. And then a voice, my father's. It's coming up the stairs. This froze me. Looking back on it now, I know he was just messing around with me. My father is far from cruel, but what he thought was harmless forced the covers over my head. It's in the kitchen. My heart raced, as did my mind. I could see this creature moving furniture out of the way as it lurched toward me. It's coming down the hallway. Do you hear it? Yes, by God, I heard it, slithering and thumping on the hardwood floor. It's closer now. For a moment, I considered just smashing through my window and taking off barefoot in the snow. Closer. Closer. My fingers ached from clutching the blanket. It's at your door. At that moment, I threw off my covers, figuring if I were going to be attacked by a monster, I wanted to see the thing. But of course, there was nothing there. And my father said no more that night, having probably drifted off to sleep after making my mother giggle with his little joke, neither having any idea what kind of visions this had produced or what path this would set me on. Lying there in the dark, teeth on edge, heart thudding, Listening to the house settling, I was terrified, but I was hooked. I wanted more of that feeling, and I began collecting, reading, watching anything I could that would make me feel that kind of fear. Not because I'm a masochist, but because after that peak, when the scare dies out, I never feel more alive. It's the sensation of getting through, of making it, of coming out on the other side that matters. But it didn't stop with me. From that early age, I knew I wanted to make others feel that way. I wanted to write stories that would make people feel the way I did that night, under the covers, certain that the monster was real. And so here we are, at chapter 11, 
Welcome to Season 2 of The Ghost Modernist. But before we get into the story today, we have to do some quick business. First off, thank you to all the new listeners. You're making this all worth it. My wife and I are doing these shows out of our kitchen nook, which we have dubbed The Overnook, so your kind words keep us going. On that note, if you're enjoying the show, please go and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify and other platforms. The more reviews, the better the show does in the charts and makes it more visible to possible new listeners. More people for me to try and scare. But the most helpful is word of mouth. Keep sharing with your friends and family. Let's scare them too. Finally, stick around to the end of the show for a shout out to some of you awesome folks. Okay, you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in and the haunt is on. Part 2. The Next Few Weeks. Chapter 11. The ghost slid down the hallway, pulling energy and shadow along behind. With unshod feet, steps barely a whisper, the shape jittered and paused, first in one doorway, then another, before continuing on. A twitch, then a jerk, as if confused about its purpose or direction, the ghost almost slipped into the master bedroom but stopped after catching its reflection in the large square mirror at the end of the hall. Worse, it caught Kate's reflection as well, staring back from the opposing end of the corridor. She'd followed from the living room, beads of sweat running down her cheeks and into her eyes. But even though her mind wanted to tell her so, she knew this was no ghost. It was only her husband, Denny, with an old white t-shirt wrapped around his head. He had been vacuuming. After a week... Kate still hadn't gotten used to his beardless face. He looked like an imposter. Tugging down his headphones, Denny said, You gotta stop sneaking up on me like that. You call that dancing? Kate asked. They converged in the center of the hall, and she handed over a bulging plastic bag. Excited, Denny ripped it open to reveal a small pack of toilet paper and two bottles of hand soap. Kissing her on the cheek, Denny then threw the bag onto their bed. Tell me all about it. Denny said. How is the outside world? Just incredible, Kate said. Ever since the virus made its debut on American soil with the lockdowns and restrictions following suit, their trips to the store were fewer and far between. Only essential businesses. Grocery and home improvement stores and the like, though as fall approached, some of these precautions were being loosened. Bars and restaurants were reopening with dramatically altered table patterns as were schools. Even Kate had just gotten word that her campus was planning a soft return to work and that she was going to have to be on campus to teach twice a week. Mask on, bleach and wet wipes in hand, all while trying to stress the importance of Rimbaud or Sylvia Plath to a room full of disinterested stares. Kate was not looking forward to it. Following Denny out onto the porch, Kate went on, I'm telling you, it's a magical world out there. So many colors and smells. Well, what I could smell through my mask. Denny laughed. Their dogs came running up the steps, 
and surrounded Kate, pawing and barking at her, as if to complain that Denny had left them outside in the heat. How's the house looking? Denny asked, plopping himself down into a chair. He wiped his forehead with the back of one arm. Any less like we're squatters? You worry about good impressions more than I do. It's my dad. You know, military, efficiency, white glove sort of thing. Well, you've been outdoing yourself. It's almost as clean as the day we moved in. Not that Megan or Kyle would care. We could be in 2.5 cardboard boxes and we'd still have a blast with them. I'm so glad they're coming, Denny said, his voice sounding somehow more vulnerable than she'd ever heard. Kate had spent the morning on her computer, grading, forcing herself not to look up anything more about their house or the Westerbergs, when Megan called. Hey, Shoosh, we're coming in hot tonight, Megan had said, her voice muffled and choppy from an open car window. Denny and Kate hadn't expected them until the following day, but they'd made better time on their road trip than expected. Air travel was back, but neither of them wanted to deal with the hassle of masks and lines and decided to drive across country. Four days straight. Now they were some good friends. Denny went on, except that they're walking right into the mouth of hell. For a few seconds, Kate thought Denny was talking about the house, or rather, what was inside with them in the house, and she was about to begin gushing. They'd both been holding back. Kate knew that now. Ever since his parents had moved out, they'd been seeing and feeling things in their home, but had been keeping it from one another, maybe to spare the other, to spare the conversation, maybe to convince themselves that it was all in their heads. It was almost like a standoff, neither backing down, because that might admit too much weakness to whatever was living with them. Kate asked, did the AC guy give you a time? They gave a window. You know how those can be. The couple had woken up that morning feeling as if someone had dumped a bucket of water on them as they slept. Even the dogs had spent the night on the floor to get away from their sweaty humans. At least we have the pool, Kate said. Maybe. I threw another couple pounds of shock in it, Denny said. We can let the pump run all night and it should be good in the morning. Of all the wars the Colemans were fighting in their house, from appliances to anxiety and now the broken air conditioning unit, the tide of the pool battle was beginning to turn. Since Denny's parents had left, the water had gotten clearer, more blue, every day. What's left to do in the house? Kate asked. Clean out the fridge, swap the sheets on the bed. I'm on it, Kate said and hustled inside. The couple spent the afternoon alternating between putting the final touches on the house. Dusting, folding towels, lighting candles, replacing rolls of toilet paper, and sprawling on the floor in front of the box fans. Kate saged the house again, not that she thought it was going to do much good, but she was a creature of habit and belief. Late that afternoon, panic set in. The heat was unbearable, and would just be getting worse over the following days. Call it climate change, call it whatever you want. But records were set to be broken, even for Georgia in late August. An impromptu trip to the coast, maybe Charleston or Savannah, to get out of the house. Or the opposite direction, up north into the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. There was a little town she'd heard of up there, called Helen. After logging had dried up, the town was renovated into a Bavarian-style tourist getaway, complete with chalets and an annual Oktoberfest. Maybe it could be a psychosomatic thing. Well over a hundred degrees and tragically humid, but you could pretend you were in the Alps. But all that required a good amount of money. Hotels, food, gas, 
and Kyle and Megan had just been spending their own on those very things coming across the country. Kate wanted to call Joan. Denny's mom had become her go-to person in times of stress. When students sent shitty emails, or someone was rude to her at the store, she'd call Joan. Little things like that always got under her skin. Once, when Kate ordered a pound of prosciutto from a grocery deli, the woman behind the counter laughed and said, No one orders a pound, but okay. It wasn't that Kate didn't like people, because really, she did. But it was more that she constantly worried that others didn't like her. That they were judging her. Such is the life of an introvert. But now, she couldn't bring herself to call Joan. Kate knew whatever she'd experienced in the basement, if she had really experienced it, that wasn't her mother-in-law. Still, she couldn't shake the image. Joan's sick-looking face, contorted, dripping and smiling, pressed against the glass, cold hands around her neck. Enough time had passed between then and now, and she was sure that it was someone or something pretending. They'd been wearing Joan's face as a mask. Denny was about to pull the trigger and call his folks, ask if the pair of them, along with their two house guests and two dogs, could come up and spend the night in the cool air of their brand new house when someone knocked on their door. The dogs barked at the arrival, and Denny ushered them outside onto the back porch. The repairman didn't come in, though Denny had invited him, and Kate didn't think this was the same as the animal control officer. There was just no need. The breaker box and AC unit weren't inside. Denny led the man into the outdoor laundry room first, while Kate stood at the back door, listening through the screen. She could hear their muffled back and forth, the sharp clack of the breakers being turned off, then back on. And then the two men emerged. Seeing Kate through the screen, the man flashed a friendly smile and waved. That's my wife, Kate. Ma'am, I'm Steve. Pleasure. Kate said a quick hello, then watched them disappear around the front of the house. She heard the sound of the back gate opening then closing, followed by Roxy and Echo barking. She wanted to follow them, as it was still a struggle for her to be in the house alone, but she restrained herself, because she was certain she knew even less about large appliance repair than Denny did. Kate pictured herself standing in front of the opened, disassembled AC unit, nodding, saying, Ah, yes, I knew, I knew it had to be the carburetor. Instead, she went to the window over the sink, which provided the perfect view of where the two men stood. Their dogs were jumping at Steve playfully, and he had sunk one knee to love them back. These were dogs that were overly aggressive with their friendship. Kate and Denny referred to them as the welcome wagon. Unease crept up, as she didn't like having her back turned to the rest of the house. But Kate kept focused on the scene outside, praying to the universe or whatever that Steve had the knowledge and time to make this a quick fix that he had the right tools and spare parts in the beat-up van he'd parked out front. The repairman opened the metal door and searched inside with the beam of his flashlight. After a moment, he'd slid around the back of the machine, out of Kate's view. All was quiet, still, when suddenly the house came to life behind her. There was an audible thump, then a steady vibration, like their house had begun to hum softly. Kate pictured the blackness accompanying the humming pouring out of the master bathroom, up from the basement, converging behind her, tentacles of shadow curling like pit vipers reaching toward her back. Turning on her heels, ready to face it head-on, she was greeted with the same empty space. Then she saw a tiny flickering of movement, 
dust motes and blonde dog hairs spinning and twirling in front of a nearby wall register. The hum was just the air conditioner coming back on, filling the ducts with blessed cool air. She could already feel wisps around her ankles and up her legs. Feeling fantastically foolish, Kate turned back to look out the kitchen window. After closing the metal flap, the repairman rose and shook Denny's hand, before the two slipped out of view. Kate went back to the screen door and watched Denny writing on a clipboard. Steve, the repairman, gave another wave to Kate before getting into his van and backing out into the street. Easiest hundred bucks that dude ever made, Denny said, joining Kate in the kitchen. Didn't you want to bring him in for a beer? Kate asked with a slight giggle. Denny gave a mock laugh. He had a habit of making quick friends with strangers. Folks from the bar, people walking their dogs. Once, at a rented house in Louisiana, Denny had invited in the three guys who were cutting down a threatening dead tree for shots of vodka. They stayed for four hours. Another time, he found a group trying to steal pumpkins off their front porch and ended up partying with them the rest of the night. They happened to be students in one of their colleagues' classes. No, Denny said. He wiped off his head with a kitchen towel. I think we already gave him enough. So, what did he say? What was wrong with it? You're not going to believe this. It was just unplugged. No, Kate didn't believe it. She sure didn't know shit about appliance repair, but something told her the power cord for the giant AC unit wasn't the same as a toaster oven. There were different prongs and voltages and something about amps. Kate said, you're shitting me. I'd never, Denny said. I mean, Kate started, how? Is it that easy? No fucking way. He showed me the whole thing. There's like a disconnect box with a switch and the cable is literally hooked in with a clip, kind of like on the back of a modem. You have to pull the tab to get it out. Kate considered this, but didn't respond. This isn't a cord that would just wiggle free, Denny said. So how did he think it happened? He had no idea. Said maybe someone was playing a prank. Who? Kate said, louder than she'd expected. We don't know anyone here. Maybe one of the girls did it, or a raccoon, Denny said. And while he meant it as a joke, it sounded like his heart wasn't in it. He had a very good idea who or what had unplugged it, and his guess was the same as Kate's. But neither of them would admit that. Instead, Denny said, Come on, let's get the windows closed and locked. We might be able to bring the temperature down a little bit before Kyle and Megan show up. Night was falling. The cicadas began their harmonizing in unison, rising to a crescendo from the trees and bushes of the neighborhood. Their air conditioner, together with those of all the neighbors, hummed along with the insects. In the distance, an ambulance's siren wailed. Nearby dogs howled in commiseration. A warm breeze seemed to push the old Toyota Camry into the Coleman's driveway. Kyle flashed the high beams and honked the horn, which gave Kate a jolt. Then he cut the engine. Kyle jumped out. He was bearded and balding, a warm smile permanently on his face. If Denny still had his beard, they would have looked very similar, with Kyle being the slightly shorter, skinnier version of Denny. Can't believe she let you drive this old beast, Denny said. Kidding me? 
She was barely behind the wheel since we left Washington, Kyle said, falling into Denny for a rough, slammed-together man sort of hug. But the embrace went on a second or two longer than the friends might have expected. They separated as quick as they'd come together. First Denny, then Kyle, shot out a hand toward each other's crotch. Both were deflected as laughter rose between them. These were grown men, almost in their forties, still playing grab-ass to cover up the fact that they truly missed each other. Kate never understood why dudes hit each other in the balls or gave two for flinching, but then again, she'd long ago given up on trying to figure out men. Kate's hug with Megan was much different, softer, closer. God, it felt good to see her friend. She said, Kyle drive you crazy the whole time? You have no idea. I almost dumped him somewhere in Tennessee. On the opposite side of the car, Kyle and Denny were retrieving bags from the trunk and had already begun talking eagerly about fantasy football and video games. Kate stood back to appraise her friend. She looked the same as the last time they'd been together, brunette hair cut into a bob that curled toward her neck, freckles, soft green eyes. But somehow, she seemed younger, not older. Kate said, Did you get taller? I've always towered over you, Shoosh, Megan said. She was only about two or three inches taller than Kate, but on the slope of the driveway, it felt like so much more. So, this is the place. Here she is, Kate said, and the two women stood shoulder to shoulder, looking over the front of the house. The brick facade and black shutters glowed in the setting sun. The oak trees in the backyard loomed over the fading gray of the roof. The day before, Denny had tackled the front yard. The bushes had been trimmed and shaped. He'd mowed and edged the lawn, and a spat of overnight summer rain made the grass brighter than usual. I love that center island, Megan said and stepped into the grass. She kicked off her shoes, and Kate followed her lead, feeling soft blades between her toes. I didn't know lilies bloomed that late. I didn't either, Kate told her. But those are the only things I haven't killed. Still have that black thumb? Megan asked. Kate was notorious back in college for continually buying window plants, watering and caring for them, only to have them wilt. The trend continued while living with Denny, first in a series of rentals, then on Muldoon and Bradbury. It wasn't for lack of trying. Kate said, I have the blackest of thumbs. Behind them, their partners had gone inside, taking suitcases and their excited chatter with them. Well, you've done something right with these, Megan said, bending down to smell one of the flowers. Can I tell you a secret? Kate asked. As the two women began walking back toward the carport, I didn't plant those. They came with the house. The woman who owned the home before us must have loved lilies. They're all over the backyard, too. She felt the urge to jump into it right then, unload on Megan, her friend, tell her all about everything. Ghost Denny, the dog's paws, dreams, shadows, the history she'd been uncovering about the house and its former occupants. But she held back. Let the woman get inside the damn house first, she thought. Kate went into the kitchen, leaving the screen door open behind her. She saw Denny and Kyle were already on the back porch, panting dogs and opened beers swirling around them. The interior space had cooled considerably, and Kate was thankful for that. What would be the point of cleaning and primping to make a good impression on old friends if the house was like a sauna? When she didn't hear Megan come inside behind her, she turned around. Her friend was standing just outside the doorframe. 
She looked as if she had been frozen mid-step, one hand gripping the screen, the other clutching her purse, as she stared into the house, at Kate. Through Kate. You okay? Kate asked, though she had an idea of what was going on. Hearing her voice seemed to break the trance, and Megan gave a little nod. She lifted one foot, then the other, hesitantly, over the threshold, then joined Kate in the center of the kitchen. The house was already speaking to her friend, and Kate wanted to say, Yeah, I feel it too, every single time I walk inside. But she had the time. They'd get there. Kyle and Megan were staying for a week. Plenty of time to catch up, to enjoy their company. Plenty of time for venting and confiding. And most of all, they had plenty of time to see what else the house had to say. Thank you for listening. This episode of The Ghost Modernist was presented by Dr. Scarelove. Theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Please check the show notes for links to their music and others from the Cryo Chamber label. Follow me on Instagram at theghostmodernist for more updates. Now for some love. Shout out to Megarel88, Forbes the Iflorist, Fellifel, Nick Pernicano, Adam1686, all of you guys had such kind words on Apple, and I cannot thank you enough. And an extra special thanks to Amanda T., who not only had incredibly nice things to say, but also pointed out that I had accidentally uploaded the same file to two different episodes. So thank you, Amanda. And finally, a huge, massive shout-out to Allie A. She has been such an awesome supporter of the show and really reminds me why I'm doing this in the first place. Allie wants to give some love in two directions. First, to Will. Hi, Will. And she also wanted to give a shout out to anyone out there dealing with mental health issues right now. She wants you to know that you are loved and that you will get through this. Allie, I couldn't agree more. If you're out there feeling like that, just remember you are not alone. This is something I have a hard time with myself, and I often need to repeat it. You are not alone. With that, thank you so much for listening. Remember, there are two types of people in this world. The Haunters and the Haunted. Which one are you?